Well, in Genesis 22, we're continuing, of course, our study of what we're calling the patriarchs. And it's four great, we just say it's four great men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And there's so much as we look at their lives and the promises and all the things that God did. Our first five lessons, the emphasis on the life of Abraham. If you looked in the little book in your outline, you realize that five chapters on Abraham and one chapter on Isaac. And we, I, like, I just call him the quiet man. We'll see more about him. There's Jacob's, there's a lot on Jacob and a lot on Joseph, but not as much on Isaac, and we'll see why as we go through it. Um, last time we saw the promise of a son and that, that the son that would be promised, that, that, that the Messiah would come through him. What a great promise. Abraham, 99, Sarah, 89. They laughed when God said, by next year you'll have the baby. And we saw the birth of the son, and the key was remember that this, and here's the thing you've got to think about. Okay, and this is why it's so important tonight. So you got Abraham having a son. What's his name? Okay, and who's coming through this son? The Savior of the world, right? That's the promise to him. You're going to have all, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. The Messiah is going to come through you. There's going to be a seed. From Isaac goes to who? Who's next? Jacob. Who's next? Judah. Now, we're talking about the seed now. The seed came through Judah, and then later on down it goes to who? David. And then later on down it goes to Jesus. Okay. So th this is important, right? If, what, if, what if Isaac got run over by a bulldozer? Or what if, what, what if a lion, what if a, an animal attacked him and killed him? Before he had any children. That would be bad, right? I guess if you're Isaac and God tells you, or your father tells you, by the way, God says the Messiah's coming through you, so you're pretty much indestructible, at least until you have the baby, right? So don't worry about anything. And so we saw last time this birth and how exciting it is. It's so powerful. Well, we're going to see what happens tonight. And, and I want to I come back to this one thing. 75 years old, you're going to have a son, didn't happen. 86 years old, you have a son, but it's the wrong one. 99 years old, and they tell you next year you're going to have it. 100 years old, you have a son. What are you going to do with this boy? You're going to say, this is my pride and joy. This is my man. This is my son, and he's the greatest. What would God ask him, Abraham, to do to that son? Oh. So we're going to see it. We'll see how it ties. You know, none of us really like tests, right? Not a whole lot of us. I, and sometimes I remember when I was in high school or something, sometimes they thought of a test and it sort of makes you sick to your stomach. You know, what about tests? Well, we have tests all the time. The final exam test, the job interview test, project at worst, uh, parallel parking. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that are tests that are common in our lives. And what we want to do is trust God and pass the test. Well, tonight... We're going to see that Abraham faces the biggest test of his life. It is the biggest test of his life. And he's going to have to trust God. He's going to trust God beyond probably. Let me just say it in a nice way. I know me. I, I couldn't trust God that way. I, I, I would fail. And probably most of us in this room, if God said to you, sacrifice your child, probably every one of us in this room would say, I, I, just, I don't think I could do that. I'm, I'm just, I don't think I could do that. Right? How could Abraham do it? Well, we'll, t we'll talk about it. You know, let's think about it. Abraham has done son so well. He's, this is the biggest test of his life. He, he failed when he's lied about Sarah, but he did pass. 
He left home and the family to come to the promised land. He was willing to separate from Lot and let Lot pick, and he knew God was going to do it. He was willing to remove Ishmael because later on when, the, when he's got this son and, and they begin to have conflict, and Sarah says, get rid of these people, and he says, okay. So he, because he says, I can't jeopardize anything with this boy right here because he's, he's the most important one. Well, this evening we're going to see he's going to be willing to sacrifice the child that the Messiah is going to come through? How could you do that? How could you kill this one? I mean, let's just say it, humanly speaking, if you kill this one, how's the Messiah going to come through? I, yeah. S. Lewis Johnson, professor at Dallas Seminary, years before I even went there, he said, this is the greatest scene in the Old Testament passed only by the sacrifice of God's Son at Calvary. Think about that. We think about how Jesus died on the cross and God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Here is a man in the Old Testament asked by God to sacrifice his son. Wow. So let's look at it. We're going to see three things tonight. The offering of Isaac, the death of Sarah, and the bride for Isaac. So that's, there's some good things happening tonight. We'll have to go through a number of chapters, but you're in chapter 22. Let's begin with one of the famous passages of the Bible, and this is, and if you hope you got it all written down, the offering of Isaac, death... Huh? You don't? Okay. Well, we'll, we'll go through it, but uh, the offering of Isaac, death of Sarah... Uh, Y'all have got to be able to write, write as fast as I talk. Is that, not, is that not possible? Okay. So the offering of Isaac, the death of Sarah, the bride for Isaac. Y'all got that pretty much? Okay. Hear it now. Offering of Isaac. Okay. This is what we're going to see. The offering of Isaac. God gives some instructions. And notice verse 1. Now, after it came about after these things. The, this is the covenant and the talk and all the stuff. And, and Abimelech basically got rid of <laughs> Abraham. Now, it came about that after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham? And he said, here I am. God tested Abraham. As we look at this passage, we're going to raise a number of questions, okay? I want you to think about it. Does God want human sacrifices? What about the son Isaac? If he is the seed, and he is, how can you kill the seed and the Messiah still come? And how could a father sacrifice his son? Those are some hard questions. And so we begin with Genesis 22, 1 and 2, God's instructions. And notice what he says. And it came about after these things that God appeared, to, to, uh, that, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, now watch what he says. Uh, then he said, take now your son, your only son. Is that accurate? No. Wait a minute. What? Whoa, God messed up. Did God not know? Does he know everything? We'll come back to it, okay? We'll get it in just a second. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I'll tell you. Boy, I, I bet you that Abraham at that point said, I wish I'd never heard that. Okay? So the, 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 the word test... What does the word test mean? I have that for you there. What does it mean? It means to test for approval. It's not a test for, to make somebody sin. Does God ever test us to make us sin? 
No, he always tests us for approval. That's what it is. And that's why James says, I, I, you, I hope you got that, but the book of James says, God will never test you to cause you to sin. When God allows things to come into your life, it is not to cause you to sin. It is so that you have victory. It's your test for approval that, you, that you'll be doing it. And, and, and of course, Abraham, he's, he's available. Here's what he does. Abraham says, I'm here. I'm available. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son. Now, let's look at it carefully. Verse 2. Then he said, now take your son, your only son. Now, let me go a little further down. It says, whom you love. Whom you love. Now, he says, take your only son. Now, we've got another slide in a minute that's going to do it, but is he his only son? Well, the, the Hebrew word means your unique son. It's the same idea that in the New Testament when it says God's only begotten son. By the way, in the New Testament is a word called monogenes. It's a Greek word which means only son, only begotten. It means unique and special. It didn't mean he didn't have Ishmael. He says, take this special son. This special. What made him special? The seed's coming through him. The Messiah is coming through him. So he says, take your son, your unique son. By the way, the son you love. And that's the first time the word love is found in Scripture. How about that? Huh? How about that one? So he says, take your only begotten son through which the Messiah is going to come. This is the son of laughter. And he says this, what, what was Abraham supposed to do? What was Abraham, what did it say to do? Take your son, your only son, that's your unique son, whom you love, who it's, you know, love, wow, Isaac, laughter. He got it clear. He didn't say, take your son, your only son, your special son, Ishmael. Ishmael's not the special son. Isaac's the special son. And so what does he say? Go to Moriah. By the way, Moriah was a three-day journey. I'll talk to you about it in a minute. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I tell you. Okay, so offer him as a, whoops, here's the trip. They're, they're down here. They're in Beersheba. He's got to go, and, or, and he's got to go up here to Moriah. By the way, that's Mount Moriah. That's Jebus. That's Jerusalem. That, this is all where Jerusalem is, ultimately. And we're going to find out later. There's a town there that's not on this map called Salem. The Jebusites live here, and they live in a town called Salem. There was a priest from Salem. What was his name? Melchizedek. So he's saying, take your son, go up to this place, Mount Moriah, and offer him as a burnt offering. Wow. What's a burnt offering? It, it, what you would do, what you would do is you would take an animal and you say, I want this animal to be a burnt offering. I want this animal to be consumed, and it's a picture of me giving my all to God. They they could bring burnt offerings. They brought there were sacrifices they'd bring if they sinned. There were sacrifices they brought that they didn't sin. If I wanted to say to God, I want my life to count for you, I would bring a burnt offering and I would kill it, cut it up, burn it completely up. What he's saying is you take your son, you take him there, you cut him, you, you kill him, you cut him up, and then you burn him burn him up completely. We would go, You gotta be kidding me. Right? I mean, I can understand uh, an animal, cu cutting up an animal is a burnt offering. But my son, will Abraham obey a clear command from God? Yes. Well, let me ask you something. 
Will you obey a clear command from God? I, I see things in the Scripture all the time that I say, well, I'm sorry I didn't do that. <laughs> right? We, we, it's just hard. I mean, how could this? Now, let, let's stop for a minute. Um, could you do this? And could you say... God doesn't want a human sacrifice. Because when the pagans did it, I mean, they, they offered their children and they cast them to Moloch and then God had already told them, don't you do the same things of these people and the firstborn son is so special. And I mean, they said all that. Does God want a human sacrifice? This is unique again. Do you love the first mention of love in the Bible? Offer him as a burnt sacrifice. The burnt offering was a picture of total dedication to God. And here we go. Does God desire human sacrifice? You know what the answer is? Yes, it is. It is. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. God doesn't want a human sacrifice. Yes, he does. Because Hebrews 10.4 says, The blood of bulls and goats can never what? Take away sin. What's the only sacrifice that can pay for man's sins? Another human being. Listen, we've got to understand this. A blood of an animal can't pay for your sins. That's why all in the Old Testament, actually beginning from Adam and Eve and their sacrifice and all those things all the way up, all of those sacrifices did what? Covered the sins of mankind. (coughs) There has never been a sacrifice of any animal that paid for any sin of a man. You know why? Because the blood of an animal can't pay for the sin of a human being. The only sacrifice that could pay for the sins of a human being is another human being. But it can't be just a regular human being. It's got to be a what? A perfect human being. Because uh, animals had to be perfect animals to cover sin. Had to be a, a human one. Only a human sacrifice. Let me see if I got it here. Only a human sacrifice can pay for human sins. It takes a person to pay for a person's sins. God desires a human sacrifice. That's why God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son to do what? To be the sacrifice for us to die all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the perfect one. He is the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. He is the human sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world. You realize that another human being, a perfect human being, died in your place. That's the sacrifice. That's the sacrifice of our Savior. And so when we think about Jesus dying on the cross and paying for sin, He's the perfect, He's the God-man. He's the God-man. He's the perfect human. He's the only one without sin. Jesus actually said, uh, if any of you convict me of any sin, then the answer was no. And God has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's who he is. And so God says, oh yeah, yeah, I've got to have a human sacrifice. Guess what? So far, starting from Adam and Eve and going all the way up, hadn't been one. Hadn't been one I could use. But at exactly the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born of a virgin and he brought Jesus into the world as the perfect human sacrifice to pay for our sins well, we, should, we can't get over that and just remember when people say God doesn't want human sacrifice now he doesn't want us humans as sacrifices because we're not perfect he wants the perfect human sacrifice Jesus Christ well everything well, we're getting ready for, let's go on the trip Let's go on the trip, Abraham's preparation for the trip. So look at verse 3. Look what it says. So Abraham got up early in the morning. By the way, this happened it's, it's now early in the morning. What would you have done? 
I might have delayed that thing, slept in, ate a late breakfast, said, you know, if I'm going to do this, maybe, maybe I can take a longer time. Maybe I don't know what I'm going to do, right? So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled the donkeys, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he split wood for a burnt offering and set out and went to the place which God had told him. Wow. So who, who does he take with him? He's got two people with him. He, he's not going off by himself and going to kill Isaac and nobody know about it. He's got two of his servants going with him, and they're traveling. Uh, and notice it says, he, he got his donkey, two men, Isaac, wood, all of that ready to go. And then it goes on to say that on the third day, on the third day, Abraham raised up his eyes and he saw the place in a distance. What's the place he's going to? Yeah. They stopped on top of Mount Moriah. By the way, what you realize is Solomon built the temple on Mount Moriah. And Jesus Christ, on that mountain, on the top of that hill was the temple, but also on the top of that hill, guess who was crucified? Jesus Christ. So you understand that Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac on the same place 2,000 years later that Jesus Christ would be sacrificed. They're going to Jerusalem is where they're going. It's not called that. It's called Mount Moriah. And Jesus, that's where Jesus died on the cross for us. So when did they stop? Verse 4, after the three days, it says, On the third day Abraham raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. Then Abraham, now watch, then Abraham said to the young men, now these are the two guys that made the trip. Do you, do you wonder, what do you think they think? What would you, let me ask you this, what's Isaac thinking? I'm going on a trip with dad, and obviously we're going to make a trip and do, do some sacrificing. Going to worship somewhere. And this should be fun. This should be great. Well, they got there, and on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place of a distance. Then Abraham said to the young, his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Now, I want you to notice what he says carefully. Abraham's instruction to the men, Stay here. Who's going to go? We will go. Abraham and who? We will worship. Who's going to worship? Abraham and Isaac. We will return. Who's going to return? Abraham and Isaac. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, what, what's, what's the matter there? I thought God said, let's go kill him. Now, let's, let me talk for a question. How old do you think, um, how old do you think Isaac is? I mean, he's not, he's not three years old, four years old, five years old. Look, he's going to be the one carrying the wood and all the other stuff. He's probably 14 or 15. That makes Abraham how old? Huh? About 115. Let's just say that the boy's 15 and Abraham's 115. Now, let me ask you a question. If Isaac got wind of this, do you think he could outrun Abraham and get away? Yeah. If it came down to it and he says, son, I'm fixing to kill you, and he'd say, I don't think you can catch me. And he'd be gone, right? If he didn't want, listen, th th this is not a, a little boy. This is maybe a 10, 12, 14-year-old child. Abraham's 112, 114 years old. And um, he's probably done all the running he's planning on doing. And so he says, we're going to go worship. We will come back. How could that be? 
How could Abraham sacrifice Isaac? How could God keep his word and let Isaac die? How is it possible? Well, I want to read something to you from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, and you don't have to turn there. Just just kind of stay where you are. And I want to read something to you. This is in Hebrews chapter 11, and it's talking about what Abraham did. And I'll put this right here. Hebrews chapter 11, you can write the verses uh, uh, 11, 17 through 19. Here's what it says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested. What kind of test? Test for the approval. Offered up Isaac. And the one who had received the promise was offering up his only son. What does that word mean? Unique. Unique. Right. It was he, this son, to whom it had been said, or to Abraham really, to whom it had been said, through Isaac your descendants shall be named. Now, he's going to offer up the son that God told him the descendants will come through. He considered, this is Abraham, Abraham considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. What did Abraham believe would happen? When he killed his son, what would happen? God would raise him from the dead. That's how he could say, we will go over there, we will worship, and we will come back. Oh my gracious, how, how, how could that be? We, God, Abraham knew that God would raise him from the dead. Wow. So, Genesis, you're still back there. At Genesis, let me go back to Genesis 22. So here's what happened. And we know this is a famous story. Well, you know, Exodus 22 is not near the same thing as Genesis 22. <laughs> I got a new Bible and I'm still not used to it yet. Okay. He said, Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there. We will worship and we will return. So Abraham took wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. He said, here, here's the wood. Son's got, okay, I got it, I got it. And he took his hand, the fire, and the knife. You've got to have the fire to burn it up. You've got to have the knife to kill it. So the two of them walked together. So they're, they're on the way. They're walking up a hill. Bill. They're walking up a big hill. The guys at the bottom, what do they see? They see them going up on the hill. They don't have an idea. And let me tell you, what does Isaac think? We're going to offer a sacrifice. But then he raises the question. Isaac spoke to his father, verse 7, Abraham, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, son. Look, I see the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? What did he think? What did he think? What's the, where's the lamb? Do you think he thinks that it's him? What do you think? No, he's going with dad to, to do a sacrifice, to worship God. Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. What does it say? The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Let me ask you a question. Does the Lord always provide? What, what on this hill, 2,000 years later, did the Lord provide? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. 
That's what is so incredible. So they get there, and we're going to see now the test. And also the test of Isaac. Let me just say this to you. When they got there and they realized uh, uh, what was going to happen, in fact, look at verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the wood. What would Isaac, what could have Isaac done? Ran away. He said, you're not, you're not tying me up. But he said, Father, because I guarantee you, Abraham said, God said to offer you as a, as a sacrifice and God will raise you from the dead. And Isaac said, okay. Now let me tell you, the quiet man, is he pretty impressive? I mean, it's pretty impressive for Abraham to say, I got to offer my kid as a sacrifice. It's pretty impressive for the kid to say, I'm willing to do what God said enough even to die. Look at that. Mm, that breaks my heart. Abraham told Isaac, son, God says you're to be the sacrifice. God's going to raise you from the dead. We must obey. You're the sacrifice, but you're the one that the seed is coming. You're the one that the seed is coming. So look at verse 10. Abraham reached out with his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Notice how, they, how the verb, slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Now the angel of the Lord is probably Jesus. And he said, here I am. <laughs> Whew, I'm good to hear your voice. And he said, don't reach out. Do not reach out your hand against the boy. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Since you not withheld your only son, your son, your only son from me. He's about to kill. He's about to kill. And the angels, the angel of the Lord said, stop, you passed the test. 2,000 years later, the father has another sacrifice. And this time he doesn't stop the sacrifice. And Jesus passed the test. And what did Jesus say at the very end? It is what? It's finished. It's done. So then Abraham looked up, and what did he see? Oh, he's so glad to see this. Verse 13. And then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and there was a ram caught in the thicket by its horn. Abraham went and took the ram and offered up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. There is the sacrifice. There is the substitution. There's the substitution. Look, there's the ram caught. He's going to get that ram. God has a substitute for each of us. We've sinned and owe God death and separation, but there is a substitute. There is one who died for every one of us in this room. In fact, he died for every human being that's ever lived and ever existed. Verse 14, And Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. As it said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided the this place will call the Lord will provide they never forgot it and think about it from Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob and Jacob to Judah and Judah all the way down to David and David all the way down to Jesus on this same hill on this same mountain where God provided God provided for us the final sacrifice for sin forever you know that's a foreshadow God did this on purpose this is the foreshadow in the Bible he wants us to see these kind of things Melchizedek was a foreshadow of Jesus as the king priest this right here this Isaac is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ 
that Abraham, the good father, is giving up his son, and his son is willingly laying down his life to die. And of course, God stops it, because in the future, the heavenly father will lay down his son, and his son will lay down his life for us. Wow. So, so good, so good. Any, 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 but isn't that amazing, y'all? Listen, this is one of the great passages in the Bible. Could you have offered your child? Maybe if God came to us personally like he did to Abraham, maybe we would know it and believe it. Now, God comes to us right here. But it's just amazing. Let's look at this next thing. Now, this is the death of Sarah. Think about it. Uh, how old was Sarah in Genesis 23:1? She's 127 years old. It says, Now Sarah lived 127 years, and these are the years of Sarah. And she died in Kirith Arba, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So Sarah died. And you know that's a sad thing. And I, so uh, she's, uh, she's how old? 120. How old is Abraham? 137. Did you know Abraham's going to marry again? <laughs> okay, we'll talk about that then another time. So here she is. She's 127 years old, and she died in Hebron. Okay, right, I hope you have that down. She does. So, so uh, this is, listen, this is, they've lived, they've lived here. They lived down here. They've lived up here. This is a place called Mamre. This is Hebron. This is the cave of Machpelah. And she died in Hebron, right? She's right there. Okay, well, where are they going to bury her? Best we can tell, this is probably the first of Abraham. Well, it's the first of Abraham's family to die. Does he own any land there? Who, who does the land belong to? Uh-huh. Who does it belong to? It does belongs to him. He owns every bit of it. God gave it to him. But does he own any of it? No, he doesn't own anything. And so Sarah has died. And she was a special woman. She's called the, she's, uh, Abraham is called the father of all belief. And she's called the mother of all who believe. By faith, it says in the book of Hebrews, that she trusted God to have a child when she was 90 years old. And he's weeping. And I want you to understand that death always causes us to cry. But in Adam all die. But in Christ all will be what? Made. Alive, Jesus Christ has defeated death. So let's see what happens. He's gonna. What's the problem? The problem is he doesn't have a place to bury her. So what's he gonna do? Well, I think if you're on a different page, they get up to. Uh, he's gonna have to come and he's gonna ask somebody. He's gonna. When the morning is over, he's got no place to bury her. So in verse four, he says this. Uh, I, he says, I'm a stranger and a foreigner resident among you. And he talks to the sons of Heath. That's the people who are living in that area. He says, I'm a stranger and a foreigner resident among you. Uh, give me a burial site among you so I may bury my dead out of my sight. He said, let me, let me buy some land so I can bury. He calls himself a stranger and a sojourner. He knew the land was to his but he, and his descendants, but he never had it. Listen, did Abraham ever possess the land? No. Did Isaac ever possess the land? No. Did Jacob ever possess the land? No. They all go down to Egypt. Who gets the land? Under who? Do you know? Under Joshua. Joshua got the land. He's first people. That's the first ones that were going to get it. So Abraham knew the land was given to sinners, but he has no place to go. He's looking for the eternal. Let me tell you, we talked about this 
last Sunday morning that we need to be looking to the eternal and not the temporal because the temporal stuff just falls apart. The eternal goes on forever. Abraham was looking for a builder whose city and foundation was from God. That's what he's looking for. Jesus said, don't look at the earth. Lay up not treasure on, on the earth, but into heaven. So the land belongs to him, but he didn't own it. So he says, give me a burial site to bury Sarah. Give me, which literally means, to, let me personally, he didn't mean give me. He says, let me have some place that I can buy. And look what they said. Look at verse 5. It says, the sons of Heath answered, Abraham said, Hear us, my Lord, you're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choice of the graves. None of us refuse you for burying uh, of grave for burying your dead. They said, listen, you just, you can bury Sarah anywhere you want to. What, what's the problem? They viewed him as a mighty man, a prince of God. And they said, you can, you look. You can take my land over here. You can take by the cave of Machpelah over there. You can take this. You can go up to the oaks of Mamre. You can, you can do anything you want. Here's the problem. He wouldn't own the land. Everyone have to, basically a rented grave. It's basically they're saying, it's my land, but we'll let you bury your wife on that. This is not what he wants. He wants the land. He wants land. And so in verse 7, look what it says. So Abraham stood up and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, and he spoke with them. He said, if you're willing to let me bury my dead out of my sight, listen to me and plead with Ephraim, the son of Zophar, that he would give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of the field, for the full price, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. He said, let me buy the land. Talk to the guy, cave of Machpelah. That's what, by the way, that's what the cave of Machpelah is supposed to have looked like. It was a cave. It was the end of some property. There's trees at the end. That's why they call the oaks of memory. There are the oak trees. And they were going to use this cave to put Sarah in. And he was going to use it for a burial plot for his family. That's what he's going to do. He's going to all the fam- As people died, they were all going to be put there. And so he says, well, let, me, let me do that. And, and so look what they say. So verse, let's say verse 10 uh, so he said, let me do that. Now Ephraim was sitting among the sons of Heath, and Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham, so the sons of Heath could hear it, that this is all who entered the gates of the city. And they said, no, 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 my lord. Listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. He says, I'll give it to you. He offers to give it to Abraham. Why didn't Abraham take the gift? Couldn't have ever said, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'll take the field. No, he's not going to take the field. Because Abraham wanted all to know that God is the one who made him rich. God is the one who gives them this land, not these people. And so look what happened in verse 14. Uh, uh, he said, uh, and Abraham bowed before the people. He spoke to Ephraim. He said, if you, this is verse 13. If you only listen, please, I'll give, you the, the, I'll give you the price of the field. Accept it from me so that I may bury my dead. Then Ephraim answered Abraham saying, oh, my Lord, listen to me. A plot of land is worth 400 shekels of silver. By the way, that was a, that was a lot of money. And he says, oh, but what's that's between me and you bury your dead? You can see the guy. He basically, when Abraham said, I, I, I have to buy it, he said, 
Oh, what's fifty thousand dollars for that little piece of property right there? That's between us friends, just I'll get fifty thousand. He charged Abraham a lot of money for the land. Uh so and Abraham really owns it. Um we don't know exactly how much it was, but we know that seemed to be very expensive. And so look at verse 16. Abraham listened to Ephraim. Abraham waited out for Ephraim the silver which he had named in the presence of the sons of Heath, 400 shekels of silver, acceptable as a serpent. So Ephraim's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, that's the oaks, the field and the, cave, and the cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in that field that were in all of the confines of the border were deeded over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heath before all who entered the city. Listen. Um, he 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 bought it, and the thing about this is so amazing. Is Abraham full price? He wanted to own the land, not borrow the land. And the truth is, Abraham knew that all this land would belong to his descendants. But he bought it, and so out of all of the land that God promised Abraham, what did he own in his whole life? One little field at the one little cave at the end of a field with some trees on it. That's what he owned. And so Sarah is buried where? In the promised land. She's the first one of the Jewish people to be buried in the promised land. 127 years old. Wow. So here's the, here's the picture again. That's supposed to be the cave of Machpelah. Vincent Van Gogh painted it. He went there and painted it. Well, we have seen... The sacrifice of Isaac, which didn't end up being a sacrifice, but it could have been. We've seen the death of Sarah. Now, what are we going to do? If the seed's going to come through this guy, what do we need? He needs a wife. You've got to have somebody to have Jacob. And so, Abraham is going to come up with the plan. So let's look at number three, which is the bride for Isaac. This happens to be one of my favorite stories, and we're only going to see half of it tonight. We have to see the other half next time, because it's such a long story, you can't get it in in one night. So we're going to see the first half of it. And so here is the commission. Now let's watch what happens. Genesis 24, verse 1. It says, Now Abraham was old and very advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. How old is he? Well, we don't know, but the way you do know, you don't know in that verse, but if you go to Genesis 25, 20, Isaac was 40 years old when he got a bride, so that makes Abraham how old? 140 years old. Now, how old was Sarah when she died? 127. Now, Abraham is 140 years old. I guess he figures, you know, it's about time you get a wife. How old is this guy? How old is Isaac? 40 years old. Okay? So we're going to see what happens. So here's what Abraham does. He's got to figure this thing out. And, and you know, he didn't go to Isaac and said, have you seen any girls around that you kind of like? You know, down at the marketplace or anything. Any, any pretty good looking girls? No, no, no. Because who's going, who's going to pick out the bride? The father is, basically. No, it's going to not be the father, but we'll see what happens. But see, Isaac wasn't going around dating. That's not how it worked. It was usually planned. And so Abraham says, we've got to have a bride for my son so that we can carry on the seed because the seed's got to come through him. 
So let's figure this thing out. So it says, Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who was in charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh. What in the world are we talking about there? He comes to the oldest servant that he has, his most trusted one. That's what I mean, the one that had been with him the most. It was a steward. This is a man that oversaw most of Abraham's possessions. This is probably the man that kept up with what's going on, where the cat, where the animals were, the sheep, what was happening. This was his most trusted man, and he was called the steward. And so what does this servant do? He oversee, He was a steward. He oversaw uh, the possessions. He said, Abraham says, come place your hand under my thigh. Does that seem funny to you? Would you want any, anybody in this room to come put their hand up under your thigh while you're sitting there right now? It, it was a symbol that when you did that, it was saying, I am giving a solemn oath. It was the way they did it. And so he says to the servant, Come, place your hand under my thigh. I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. So what's he telling him to do? What's he wanting him to do? Do not take any, don't, do not pick anybody. Because he might, he's thinking, how old am I? How old is he? 140. He, you know, he said, I could go any minute. And so I want to make sure that if something happens to me, that my son does not marry one of these what? Canaanite women. They're, they're, not, they're not Jewish. I mean, right now, the only Jewish people are who? It was Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. And Sarah's gone. There's only two Jews in the world, folks. Do you realize that? And he says, I do not want them to marry any of these Canaanite women. Why? Huh? Well, for the lineage, but the fact that they were pagans. They weren't believers, and they they did pretty terrible things. Remember, the Canaanites were cursed as a people group. Those seven nations that dwelt in the land of Canaan, you go back to Noah, uh, cursed be to Canaan. That was to Ham. Ham was told that his descendants, Canaan, would be cursed because of their evilness. So here's what he says. Don't, Don't get anybody from around here. He says, but, verse 4, you shall go to my country, to my relatives, and take a wife from my son Isaac. So he's saying what? Go where? Go back. Go back to where we came from. Go back to my country. Go back to the Earl of the Chaldees. Do you remember where that was? Let me show you this. This is the map. When Abraham was first chosen, he was way down here, Earl of the Chaldees. They came up to Haran. His father died. He took, and, and his, uh, the, the other brother died, and so he took Lot, and they came all the way down to here, and they came to Hebron. And now they're right in that area, and Sarah's been buried right in that area. And so they decide, he says, I don't want you to pick one of these women around here for my son. I want you to go all the way back to my relatives, to her, and I want you to find someone from my family, my background, and choose a wife for my son. I, I read something one day. It said it takes two to take a mar- to make a marriage, a single daughter and an anxious mother. But uh, in this case, it takes a single son and an aging father. So here's the question. Okay, pretend you're the servant, right? And you just put your hand under. You know, you're gonna put your hand under his thigh, and you're gonna say, "I'll do whatever you say." He says, "Don't pick one here. You got to go all the way back there and find somebody and bring her back." What would be your question? 
What? What's the criteria? Well, I don't, yeah, well, it's got to be somebody from his relatives. Uh, if you're talking to Isaac, what do you think the criteria is? She better be pretty. But he's going to say, but what? What if I get there, find somebody, and I say, uh, you need to marry my master's son. And they say, no, I, I'm not going to do that. So look what he says. Verse 5, uh, Verse five. the servant said to him, suppose the woman's not willing to follow me, but to this land. Should I take your son back to that land from which you came? Should I take your son back? No, no, do not take my son back there. He doesn't want him to go back. Listen, he's in a no man's land because he really doesn't want. Because what, what could happen if the son goes back there? Huh? It's right. He might never come back to the promised land. He might find a bride there and say, this is as good a place as any. The promise is the land, the seed, and the blessing. So he says, no, 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 don't take my son back there. Abraham said in verse 6, Beware, do you not take my son back there? The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and he spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give what? This land. He will send his angel ahead of you, and you will take a wife from my son from there. He says, you've got to go up there, find somebody. I mean, this, the key there, this is not... That up there is not the promised land. He must stay here in the promised land. His confidence is in God and the plan. So he says, that's what we got to do. It's what we got. We, you know, it's got to happen. So look what happens here. It goes on down and says, um, and he says this, verse 8. Now, if the woman's not willing to follow you, then you're free of the oath of mine. Only don't, do not take my son back there. So a servant placed his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore to him concerning this matter. He said, listen, if you get there and she won't come back with you, you found one you thought was good and she won't come back, then forget it. You're, you're, not, you're released from the oath. And so what did he do? He said, okay, I'll do it. He put his hand up under Abraham's thigh. And he's, he's got to trust God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean out on your understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. He's got to trust God. He's got to direct your path. He's the sovereign one. Now, I want to I talk for just a second. I have three things for you where it says God's will. Um, and I want to, you know, when people always say, I don't know what God's will is, I don't know what to do. I want to just give you three things. I've taught this many times. Uh, you may have never heard it, but I've taught it a lot. Uh, but I just want to give you an idea of God's will, okay? And here we go. There's the, number one, two, and three. There is the sovereign will of God. There is the specific will of God. And there's the general will of God. So you can put those three down. I want to just explain them real briefly for you, just so you can understand what the Bible has to say. Uh, as you're writing, well, let me, I'm going to wait till you get through. Tell me when y'all are through basically writing those three things down. The sovereign will of God the specific will of God, and the general will of God. Are we, are we close? Okay, a lot of people, when they think about God's will, they think it's this way, that God has a specific will for your life, and you've got to find that dot, and you've got to say, uh, boy, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to marry the wrong person. I don't want to buy the wrong house. I don't want to take the wrong job. I, 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 you know, I just don't want to do wrong. And, and for years, there have been many people who will say, I, I don't know what to do about a decision. I don't know whether to buy this house or not. I don't know whether to buy this car or not. I don't know whether to get married or not. I don't know what I want to do because I don't know what God's will for my life is. Well, I want you to understand that 
that's really a, a faulty concept from the Scripture. What the Scripture teaches, first of all, is that there is a sovereign will of God. That means that He works in all events and all circumstances. He's working everything according to the counsel of His will. And that means you made a decision to come here tonight, right? It was your decision, your freedom to come here. In God's sovereign plan, were you going to be here? Now, He didn't actually make you come here. But in His sovereign plan, which makes your decisions and His plan all come together all the time, He is so great that He can make, takes all of your choices and everything still fits in His sovereign plan. And it's going to happen. The sovereign will of God is going to happen. And He's told us some of the things. We've been seeing in the book of Revelation, there's going to be the seven trumpets and the seven seals. There's going to be a thousand year reign of Christ. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. He's told us things He's going to do. Okay? That's called the sovereign will of God. The specific will of God is found in the Word of God. The Bible actually says this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Are you to lie? How do you know you're not supposed to lie? Because that is the specific will of God revealed in the Scripture. And there are a lot of things revealed in the Scripture that are specific will of God. In fact, that's where you go. If I want to know the specific will of God for my life, are you to marry... An unbeliever. No. Why? How do you know that? Because the Bible says don't be unequally yoked with them. I mean, we know, we know some of the things like that. Are you, to, uh, are you to cheat? Are you to cheat on something? No. no. Are you to, to worship something other than the true God? No, no. Uh, are, you to, are you to kill? Are you to murder somebody? No. You have specific things from the Bible. That takes us to the third thing. What I call, and the Bible doesn't actually have a name for it, it's called the general will of God, and that is this, that in decisions that you make, now this is going to sound weird if you always heard this other thing, in decisions that you're going to make, if they are not found in the Word of God, you have freedom to make any choice you want to make. You have that freedom. And that means that if you said, I don't know whether I should buy this car or not, Okay, you're not going to find in the scripture whether you buy that car or not. And if you said, I'm going to pray about it, pray what? That God's going to give you direct revelation on you should buy this car or not? No. First of all, you have wisdom, and you could look at it and say, is it a good car? Do I have enough money? Am I going to have to borrow money? If I'm going to have to borrow money, can I make the payment? And, and you have to be wise. But you're not going to get direct revelation from God whether you buy that car or whether you buy that house or whether you marry a particular person. You have freedom in all of those places. Uh, I'll give you the quick synopsis. Uh, um, there's a book by Gary Friesen that he wrote it back in the 70s. It's called uh, Decision Making of the Will of God. He uses the example of Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's a, it's a play. It's, you know, he says Adam and Eve have just done everything. God's got it all for them. And God says to him, to them, Adam and Eve, you can eat any tree in the whole garden, but don't eat this tree right here. And he says, I'm, I'm gone. I'll see you later. And so he leaves, and then Adam and Eve look at each other, and she says, well, should we eat apples or bananas or grapes? So I, we don't want to mess up. Yeah, we, I better go ask him. And so he goes to God and says, God, we, we didn't want to mess up. We didn't know, should we eat bananas or apples or, or grapes? He's, you can eat anything you want. Oh, okay. All right. He goes, we can eat anything we want. And then she said, oh. Should we eat them separately or with fruit salad? Should we put it like in a fruit salad or should we eat it separately? I don't know. I'll go ask him. God, do we do a fruit salad or can we eat it separately? You can do whatever you want. The truth is this. When God does not give you direct revelation from his word, you have the freedom to make wise choices. 
That's why the Bible says, get wisdom. Understand wisdom. Live by, live by scripture. That's wisdom as well. And so that's the, that, so here's, here's Abraham's servant. And the bottom line is, he's going to, he, it's a little bit unique because God comes and speaks and does things. Then, I mean, he comes right to Abraham and tells him things. So he doesn't do that to us. But I just wanted you to see this. So let's see, let's see the servant's trip, okay? So here we go in verse uh, 12. Here's what he says. Watch what the servant says. <clears throat> and Abraham said, Lord God of my, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show kindness to my uh, master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring. So he goes all the way down. He makes the trip all the way back. He gets to Haran and he comes out and there's a place where you water all the animals. And he stops there and he says, Oh God, the father, the God of my father, of Abraham, grant me success. And then he raises a question. He says, what was his request? He asked God for a sign. Now, it's okay for him to ask for a sign. We'll talk more about it later. And he says this, um, Behold, I'm standing by the... Verse 13. I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city coming out to draw water. Now, may it be that the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your jar so I can have a drink, and who answers, Drink, and I'll water your camels also... May she be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. He says, okay, the girls are going to come out, and here's what I want. When a girl comes out, I'm going to ask her, let me have a drink. And if she says, oh, I'll give you a drink, and I'll also water your camels, then I'll know this will be the right girl. Wow. So, uh He's trusting God to say, listen, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to find. I don't know which woman to find. I don't know who are the relatives. I don't know anything about it. What's he supposed to do? Who, what kind of girls is he supposed to get? From who? What family? His family, his background. He doesn't know who they are. This servant says, I don't know who any of those people are. So here's what happens. So, in, so it came about, verse 15, that before he had finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham. Listen, she's, she's a relative of Abraham. She came out with her jar on her shoulder. The young woman, now look at the description. The young woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had had relations with her. She went down to the spring, filled up the jar, and came up. Now she comes out, and I imagine he saw her. He probably thought, wow, that's a pretty one. Here she comes. Rebecca came. She's Abraham's relative. She's beautiful. She's a virgin. And look what he says to her. Uh, then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me have a drink, a little water from your jar. Now what's the sign? She says, Yes. And I'll also what? Well, how many camels did he have? Do we know? In, when the story has ten camels. Now let me ask you something. Is it hard to water ten camels? They drink a lot. It's a lot. It's a big deal. For her to say that to a stranger? So watch what happens. And please let me drink a little water from the jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. Then she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will also draw water for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. Wow. Wow, that's the sign. This must be the girl. This has got to be it. 
So look, um, meanwhile, the man was taking a closer look at her in silence. <laughs> he says, I wonder if she's the right one. He had to find out whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. So when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring, a half shekel, two bracelets for her wrist, weighing ten shekels ago, and he said, whose daughter are you? Now what's he, what's he looking for? What's he looking for? He's looking for somebody who's a relative of what? Abraham. And look what she says. He says, whose daughter are you? And she's, uh, please tell me, uh, whose daughter, please tell me if there's room for you. She said, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. That's the right, that's it. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of straw and feed. The man bowed low and worshipped God. What's his response? What's the servant's response when he finds out all of this? He bows low. He says, Lord, you did it. Uh, if your little hand that says, Rebecca, I'm the daughter of, you know, a Bethuel, that, that's, a, that's a relative. And he worships God, and he basically says, God has guided me. God has directed me. God's sovereignly at the right place at the right time. I'm trusting God. And what did he do? He brought the exact right girl at the right time. What's he doing? What's he doing right now? He's thanking God, isn't he? Listen, do we often forget to thank God when our prayers are answered. Have you, have you any time recently said, oh, Lord, please do this, and then he does it? Do you remember to say, oh, thank you, Lord, for answering that prayer, or do you just go on? It's very easy sometimes when God does something that you just sort of forget what he's done. Well, he's worshiping. Well, let's see the success here. So uh, here's what's going to happen. And by the way, that's the whole rest of it, and we're going to see that next time. But look what happens here. What did Rebecca do? Oh, you got to. What did this man just give her? A, a bunch of bracelets and a ring. I mean, we're talking about lots of money. Uh, a stranger who you did pretty hard because you did the, cow, the, the camels for him, and he gives you all this stuff and says, who are you? And she says, well, I'm, I'm a relative of this and this and this. And he knows that that's the relative. That's the right one. And so look what happens. So the young woman, verse 28, the young woman ran and told her mother's household all these things. She went and told the mother's household, where's her father? Why would it say she went and told her mother's household? Hmm? We don't know where their father is. We don't know whether he's dead or alive or what. We just, it just know. And notice it goes on to say, now Rebecca had a brother. What was his name? Laban. We will listen, we will find this guy later. He has an eye for possessions. We will see him again. Look what this says. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and Laban ran outside the man, to the man at the spring. And when he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying, this is what the man said to him. He went to the man, he was standing by the camels, and he said, come on in, blessed are the Lord. Why are you standing outside since I prepared the house and the camels? So the man entered. Listen, this guy, Laban says, this man's got money. This man's got money, and he gave a bunch of stuff to my sister. So this, this, is, this is good. We're going to find out, what about the family? Is there a daddy? And who is Laban? And why is Laban such a materialistic guy? And what's going to happen, Rebecca? And we'll see all of those things. So verse 31 and 32 basically says, uh, And he came in to come bless the Lord, come outside. So the man entered the house. Laban unloaded the camels. He gave straw to feed the camels to wash their feet, wash the feet of the men who were with him. And now guess what they're going to do? They're going to eat. 
You'd think this would be a great thing. And here's, here's the servant. Now, let's put yourself in the servant's. You've put your hand under whose thigh? Abraham's. And you said, I'll do whatever you say. And as you're going there, you're saying, I don't know. How am I going to find the relatives? How am I going to find the right woman? I don't know what to do. Oh, Lord. And he gets there, and he says, women are fixing to come out. Because the women got the water. Men didn't get the water. He said, women are fixing to come out. I don't know which woman to pick. Oh, Lord. Pick one from the family. And if she says, I'll just say, give me a drink. And if she says, I'll give you a drink. And do the, that'd probably be the one. Sure enough, it happened. And then he says to her, by the way, who are you? And she says that she's the family. And it goes back to Abraham's family. And he goes, my gracious, it's the right girl, the right family, the right everything. So they go in to eat. And guess what he does? He says, before we can eat, this is, this is the servant. And we'll see this next week. Before we can eat, I have to do what I came to do. I need to get Rebecca and take her back to my master. What would you say if you were Rebecca? What would you say if you were Laban? What would you say if you were Rebecca's mama? You might say, we don't know you. We don't really know you. But he could say, but I am representing your relative, Abraham. You remember him, Abraham, Lot, Nahor. You remember them. What's going to happen? Picture that you're Rebecca. You did a good deed. You got some bracelets out of it. And now this guy says, you're supposed to go marry his master. Because see, Abraham and... And, and, and you, you don't live there. You live, that's a long way away. What are you going to do? Well, we're going to see next week. Let's understand that we must obey the Word of God. We must trust God. The commands, Abraham obeyed God. We have to obey God. Abraham did good. He did the right things. Okay? Second. Let's realize, is that some of that in, yeah, some of that's in there. Listen, okay, let me put it there. Just obey the word of God. The second thing is let's realize Jesus Christ is the sacrifice bringing salvation. Was Isaac sacrificed? Yes. He was offered, but he wasn't sacrificed. He didn't die. I mean, he wasn't sacrificed, but he was about to be sacrificed, okay? Who is the sacrifice? Who is the final sacrifice for sin forever? Jesus. Who is the sacrifice for our sins? Who died the just for the unjust? He died. It's a substitution. There's probably at least 15 places in the New Testament that are the verses that talk about substitution, how Jesus died in our place. God demonstrates his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's, over, it's all over the place. Only in Christ there is salvation. What does that verse say, John fourteen six? I am the what? The way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's the only way. Jesus Christ is the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I, I, you didn't get a chance probably to write. Just, just write John fourteen six. We know that. And then here's the other thing, and that's Jesus is the, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So amazing. Here's number three. Let's understand God is sovereign and working in all the events of our lives. Now, for that guy, 
God wanted to pick the exact right woman for Abraham, for Abraham and for Isaac. And so he actually had that guy give a test, and then the test came true. Got to be real careful today. I've heard a lot of people say, well, you should you know, put out a, a fleece and say, oh, Lord, if you want me to buy this car, let, let the phone ring on the third ring and all that. Um, I want you to understand that the fleece that, uh, was it Gideon? When Gideon put out that fleece, he already knew what God wanted him to do. It wasn't a test. God already told him, you're going to go fight and you're going to go win. And he was chicken. And he said, if you really want me to go, let the ground be wet and this be dry. And it was. And he went, well, okay, if you really want me to go, let this be wet. And, and he already knew he was supposed to go. So when people say you need to put out a fleece, the fleece wasn't trying to figure out what God had already told him to do. God already told him to do it. Okay. Let's trust God as we make decisions. You have the written word of God, which is the will of God. Just understand that. The will of God is found in the word of God. If you want to know what you're supposed to do that God has revealed to you, it is revealed in the written word of God. And there, a lot of things in the Bible aren't for you. They're not for us. It, it always drives me crazy when people bring up the verse that says, If my people who are called by my name will turn from their sin. And they're using it for America. It is talking about the nation of Israel. They're about to go into captivity. God says, If my people, Israel, will turn back to me, they won't go into captivity. They didn't turn back and they went into captivity. Don't use that verse. It's not talking about us. There's a lot of things not talking about us. So here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean out on your own. All your ways acknowledge Him. Lord, I want to live for you. I want to go wherever you want me to go. I want to do whatever you want to do. He'll direct your path. He always takes care of us.